This morning we conclude uh, the sermon series we began a number of weeks ago entitled Alive. We have been focusing on different individuals who either were near death or who died, and that the Lord Jesus was able to touch them or speak a word and, and bring them back to life, or they dodged death. If you remember several weeks ago when we began, we did the widow of Nain. Remember her son had died at the same location where the Old Testament town of Shechem. Nain and Shechem are both at this foot of Mount Moray, and that Jesus did that miracle for a reason to send the signal that just like Elijah, the second Elijah has come to bring new life. Second week, we dealt with Jairus. Remember whose 12-year-old daughter was dying, and, and Jairus came to get Jesus, and as they were walking back to Jairus' home, remember how tough it would have been being a synagogue official, uh, who these guys would have hated Jesus, and for this man to humble himself, invite Jesus to come. He was a desperate dad. And yet, partway through, this lady with the bleeding disease interrupts Jesus for several hours. The little girl dies, and yet the Lord was in complete control and raised her from the dead. Easter Sunday, Pastor Earl and I talked about that God makes dead things alive, going uh, hand in glove with this sermon series of alive. And then last Sunday, King Hezekiah, remember, asked for the, the, the shadow to go back 10 steps and that the sun shined where it had previously shined once before. This morning we conclude, pull out your note outline, John chapter 4. There's a reason Jesus told this story, and hopefully, as I've mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to give you just a little bit of historical and geographical perspective to help us understand. Again, John in his gospel chooses what he refers to not as miracles, but as signs, and he chooses seven. The seven signs of John's gospel. Remember, the first was changing water into wine at Cana. We'll talk about that briefly in a few moments. Second was this miracle, Lazarus, feeding of the 5,000, or you got walking on the water. And it's interesting because John says at the end of his gospel, Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples. If everyone would have been written down, even the whole world could not contain the books that could be written. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. If Jesus did, let's just say, three miracles a day, three miracles a day, that's just a conservative estimate. How many would that be in one year? A thousand. How many years did Jesus minister? Jesus did 3,000 miracles John selects seven. Why this one? He had 3,000 to choose from. This one made the cut. Why? Hopefully, we'll discover why this morning. Follow along. Get out your pen or pencil. We're going to interact with the text once, before, uh, once again. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 46. He came again, notice again, 
He had been there previously when he turned water into wine. This would have been his, he went back and forth from Galilee down to Jerusalem, back and forth several times. This would have been his second trip north after changing water into wine. To Cana in Galilee, why does it say in Galilee? Because there are two Canas in Israel. So John, he, his gospel is very unique. It's almost like a New York City taxi driver. John gives geographical facts of an eyewitness. It happened in Cana of Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official, underline the phrase royal official, whose son lay ill where? Capernaum, the headquarters of Jesus. We've got two geographical locations cited, Cana and Capernaum. You'll see why in a moment. When he heard, the official, that Jesus had come from Judea, Jerusalem area, north to Galilee, he went and put a square around the verb begged. There's more there than meets the eye. Begged him to come down and heal his son. wonder why it says come down. You'll see in a moment. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There's a reason he said that. We'll unpack in just a moment. The official, underline that once again, it's the second time John mentions the phrase, said to him, sir, come down, again down, before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word, double underline the phrase, that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. And as he was going down, third time, the adverb appears down, his servants met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them, the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father, doing some mental computation, realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he himself believed, double underline that phrase, along with his whole household, now, this was the second, what, sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. Once again, get out your note outline. We're going to fill in some blanks here. Give you a little bit of perspective. Number one, this dad, the word royal official literally means in the court of the king or royal one or connected to a king. What, what king would that be? How many have ever heard of the phrase King Herod? What's confusing in the Gospels, when you hear King Herod, it's not always the same guy. For example, in the Christmas story, Magi from the East came to Herod at Jerusalem and said, where is he born King of the Jews? What Herod was that? Herod the Great. Herod the Great. This is the guy who would have built Masada, the Herodium, 
those of you who were in Israel with us a few months ago, Caesarea Maritima, the harbor, the hippodrome, Herod the Great. He would, by the way, the temple that Jesus cleansed, second temple, not the first, that was Solomon's temple, this was second temple that was built by Herod the Great. However, Herod the Great died. Remember Joseph and Mary went to Egypt when Herod the Great kills the babies in Bethlehem, and upon hearing that Herod had died, they came back and they began to reside up in Nazareth. Remember? So this is not Herod the Great. When he died, he was over all of Israel. When he died, he had four sons. And so he divvied up Israel into four different sections. And anybody who ruled over one of those was called a tetrarch. Ever heard that word in the Bible? It means fourth. Tetrarch. Well, up in the north in Galilee, guess what that guy's name was? Herod Antipas. Antipas. He was the tetrarch over Galilee. By the way, same guy that chopped off John the Baptist's head. Incidentally, same guy that when Jesus was getting ready to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross, Herod came to town and he and Pilate became friends and Herod said, I'd be interested in seeing him so he could do a miracle for me. That was Herod Antipas. Incidentally, John in your margin, Luke 23, 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had hoped he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about Jesus, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. And so what you've got here is this royal official was serving in the court of Herod Antipas up in the Galilee. He was the tetrarch over Galilee. Number two, the man, it says in the story, traveled from Capernaum to Cana. If we can have the next screen, please. Capernaum to Cana, it's a 20-mile walk. Once again, let's look up here. Capernaum, remember this is the Sea of Galilee. Jordan River goes down to the Dead Sea, way, way down. Okay, Capernaum, Jesus' headquarters. So it says he walked from Capernaum to Cana. Watch. About 20 miles. If this were Beulah Missionary Church, he would be walking to Notre Dame. He would have crossed by Arbel Cliffs. That's this area right here. Do you see down in this area all the green? Beit Natofa Valley. Isn't it interesting? Cana, today it's referred to as Cana, is at elevation up in the hills. And so when it says they would have gone down to Capernaum, that does not mean south. That means they would have gone from altitude into the valley, over to the Sea of Galilee, which is at sea level. Notice it says in the, I had you uh, mark the verb begged. It is in the, jot in the margin, imperfect tense in the original language, which means repeated or persistent action continue to do so again and again and again to ask, to request. He kept it up. I wonder how many people in here can identify that you have prayed again and again and again and again, even begged. It's a biblical verb. 
on behalf of your child. Ongoing, persistent action, please come. You have got to come. Please come. Number three, I believe that there are two purposes in John's including. I'll mention the second one in a few moments, but why would John pick this miracle? Again, he had 3,000 to choose from. Why this particular one? I think one of the reasons, and maybe this could be new information for you, I think because in a very unusual way, John is being very selective as the narrator. He says, I'm going to choose this one because in this story, we see a number of steps of faith that this man keeps taking. Deeper and deeper faith. And I think the reason John includes it, one of the reasons, I think there's two, but one of the reasons is he wants you and me to continue to take deeper steps of faith. And I think in this story, what we're going to see is that there's a number of stages of faith that this man has. Let's look at those three stages. Next screen, I'd like to reference Romans 1, 16 and 17. Many of you have probably heard this verse or this passage. It's two verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is not the good news. This is not necessarily meaning plan of salvation. It can mean that. But the gospel goes beyond how to get to heaven. The gospel is the whole idea, the good news of living in the Spirit, as Pastor Joe reminded us this morning, of continuing to deepen my faith further and further and further. It has to do with belief. You see, I've underlined the word believes. And then most people have heard this verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. Not only the power of God to save me and convert me, but the power of God to keep changing me. The gospel continues to transform me as I believe. Most people rarely will quote verse 17, but I think verse 17 is the key. Watch. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and there's this interesting phrase. Circle it several times on your note outline. From faith to faith. Now, you've seen that. You've heard that phrase. What's that meaning? I believe what Paul is saying is that I need to go from one stage of faith to another stage of faith. There's different kinds of faith. I'm going to begin to unpack those stages of faith in just a second that are revealed in this story. But I think what he's saying in this verse is you need to understand when, you, when you're saved, that's a certain kind of faith. But you need to go from that faith to another kind of faith and to an even deeper faith and a greater faith. You need to go from faith to faith. I think that's why John selected this miracle. Let's look at the stages. You're going to see it. Maybe you're going to see it in a way you've never seen it before. Here we go. What's the first stage of faith? Well, the first stage of faith is believing in Christ's works. At the beginning of the story, John, in your margin, uh, this man, this royal official, 
of Herod, Jewish, not a believer, but he believed that Jesus could do miracles. Why would I say that? Well, why would he come to Jesus? Why would he walk from Beulah Missionary Church to Notre Dame? My son's sick. He must have believed, and by the way, isn't it interesting, this also happened to Cana, the location of the first miracle. I heard what happened in Cana before. I hear that Jesus is in Cana. I've got a little boy who's sick. I believe if I go to that same location of the first miracle that he, that he can do a work in the life of my son. That's the reason he came. Isn't it interesting? Even an unbeliever can have this kind of faith. You may not necessarily agree with that, but I think it's right. You can believe Jesus is a miracle worker. As a matter of fact, look at the next verse I've put printed for you there. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus at night, remember John 3, and said, Rabbi, watch this, look at the pronoun, we collectively, us Pharisees, know you are a teacher who has what? Isn't that interesting? Even the Pharisees would admit Jesus has come from God. For no one could perform the what? They believed he could do miracles. You're not only from God, you can do miracles. But let me tell you something, that's not enough. At that point, Nicodemus was not a believer. Oh, I think he was. No, I think he wasn't. Why else would Jesus say to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again? If he's a believer, why would Jesus say that? So isn't it interesting? You can believe that Jesus can do miracles. That's not good enough. And I think one of the things that John's telling us is, tragically, there are a lot of Christians. That's where their faith stays. I want a genie in a bottle. The reason I'm believing is that I've got this celestial Santa Claus that if I rub the bottle just right, the genie will do what I want. I dare say there are times, more often than I wish, that I tend to be like that. How about you? I want him just to do miracles for me. Beyond that, just be there. That's not the kind of faith that Jesus wants. How do I know? Because he tells us that in verse 48. Look at verse 48 on your note outline. Isn't it interesting? The faith of Nicodemus when he came, the faith of this official when he came, and this is what Jesus says. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus is saying that is not the kind of faith I am interested in. Basically what Jesus is saying in verse 48, unless I answer your prayers and do what you wish, you really will have nothing to do with me. And isn't it interesting, you and I can default into that pretty easily. 
please do what I want. Please answer my prayers. Help me in my health. I pray for my kids, my grandkids. What do we pray when you're going to become a parent or a grandparent or your daughter's going to have a little baby? As long as it's healthy and happy. Find ourselves saying, and there's nothing wrong with that. Unless that becomes the extent of my faith. Now watch. Look at verse 49 and 50. This is big. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. So the guy does an about face, takes off from Cana, began heading east through the Beit Natofa Valley, and it says, and the man did what? Have you seen this before? Believe the word. Uh-oh. We're in a different arena now. And that leads us to point number two. You see, there's a big difference between believing that Jesus can do miracles to believing the Word. If you look on your note outline, I think I've printed for you there, James 2.19, do you see it? You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Did you know that demons and Satan have faith? They believe that Jesus can do miracles, but they don't believe his word. That's the difference. People say, well, I, I believe. Terrific. So do, so do demons. As a matter of fact, demons often show, show more belief in the scriptures and the gospels than what many Jews and many of us Christians do. They know exactly who Jesus is and what he can do. Remember the demoniac? The man ran towards Jesus, fell on his knees, and legion, these thousands and thousands of demons, says, what, what do we have to do with you, Jesus, thou Son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? They knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and they knew ultimately that he was going to torment them at the end of time. But, oh, they believed. They shuddered. But you see, they didn't believe in his word in the gospel this seems to be if if the initial phase is believing that Jesus is powerful and can do miracles by the way why does Jesus help this man if his faith was shallow because faith has to start someplace see and so he went from believing in Jesus's works to believing his words. And I need to make that transition every day. In fact, if I've got a sneaking suspicion that you're dealing with something right now that you probably, if, I, if you were pinned down, believe that Jesus is powerful enough to solve it. Question is, are you going to trust his word when he says, you know what? All things work together for good. I'm going to work this thing out. Do you believe that? It's a different stage of faith. See? It's kind of where Judy and I are camped out right now. 
We're praying for a family member. Is God, and if you pin me down, is God big enough to do this? Yes. Do you believe he can and will do this? Sometimes. Depends on what day you ask me. Huh? Am I being truthful here? I've got to continue to believe his word. Now let me show you a rather remarkable insight in this passage. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed, you circled it, didn't you, or put a square or something? The word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way, and as he was going down, he met his servants met him and told him the child was alive. So he asked him, now, when did, when did this happen? And yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father, father realized this was the hour Jesus had sent to him, your son will li- live. Watch this. So he himself believed. Wait a minute. I thought it said back in verse 50 that he believed. In verse 50, it says he believed. So what's going on down there in verse 53? Something different. As a matter of fact, in the original language, the construction is different. There is a pronoun of emphasis in there that's not back up in verse 50. So he himself believed. It's a different kind of belief. Remember this whole idea of going from faith to faith to faith. You start out, you believe in Christ's works, and then finally you kind of graduate and begin believing his word, and then finally you get to number three, and that's what this is right here. Now you believe in Jesus himself. Jesus as a person. As I said earlier, I think one of the reasons Jesus selected this miracle because it illustrates, whether you've ever seen this before or not, it illustrates different stages of faith. And John says, I want to communicate that to my readers. It's one thing to believe in his works, his miracles. It's something else to believe his word, but it's something entirely different to believe him, in him, in him. And let me tell you what, sometimes I get camped out on this one in the middle, believing his word. And that can be a trap too. Because look at that last verse or passage I printed for you. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to do what? You see, sometimes, often in my devotions, I'll spend time in God's Word. That's an important thing to do. My biggest fear, I'm going to be really honest with you, my biggest fear is that I spend too much time learning about Jesus and not enough time learning to know Jesus. My biggest concern is that I think I've had my devotions because I've read the Bible and I've prayed and I've had my devotions. And Jesus says, you know what, you've got to go further than that because they're talking about me and yet you're not, you're not connecting and communing with me. Remember I told you I think that there's two reasons that this miracle was selected by John. Reason number one, this whole idea of going from faith to faith. It's one of the few times you see it illustrated in the gospel record. 
You want to know the second reason? What was it? What was the mechanism by which this man learned to do these transitions? You ready? His kids. His kids. I tell you what, the test of faith and the trial of faith for Judy and me has never been stronger than when it's involved our sons. When it involves a family member. And there are people out here with broken hearts because you've got a son or a daughter or a husband, a family member. And I tell you what, it's not getting into a fender bender or forgetting my wallet like I did this morning. You're paying for lunch, babe. I did, I tell you. That is not the stuff that causes me to lay awake at night. What is? It's your kids. And isn't it interesting? I think one of the things that John's, the biblical narrator, is telling us is, I am using your family, your marriage, your children, your prodigal daughter, your son who's walked away from the faith. I am using them as the canvas upon which I'm going to paint the portrait of you traveling from faith to faith. So my question for you this morning, and by the way, nobody stays here. My tendency is to regress back to here and on days over here. Hopefully, I will continue to stay here more often. That's why John selected. That's why he looked at 2,993 other miracles and said, oh, I'm taking this one. Because it communicates something that I desperately want the people at Beulah Missionary Church to, to know and to remember. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me right now. Father, this is just so hard. Lord, I join hands with an awful lot of moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, who have got broken hearts. And Lord, we chafe at the process. And yet you know what you're doing. You're not only working in the lives of our kids and our grandkids and our family members, but Lord, you are accomplishing something in our walk of faith that cannot be done any other way. I don't like that rule. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to be people who just not, don't just believe, but who continue to go from faith to faith. Not just believing you can and that you're powerful, but believing and trusting your word and then ultimately trusting you. 
And Lord, when this man, when this dad did that, it altered his entire family. I want my family to be changed by my belief in you. And beloved, as your eyes are closed and your heads bowed, here one week out from our summit, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask, Judy, I'm going to ask you to come and, and kneel down here at the altar with me. If you would like to pray with us up here, we may be the only ones, but if you want to pray up here and say, Lord, here, I'm going to drive a stake into the ground again, and I'm going to trust you and believe you and believe your word and believe you personally for my kids, for my grandkids, for my family. And Lord, here on the precipice of the Life Action Summit, I want to go from faith to faith. If you're willing to do that, Jude, I'm going to ask you to come right now. If you're willing to do that, slip out and just walk forward. And you just kneel down with us and we're going to pray. If you want to be a person that goes from faith to faith, if you want to pray for your family, if you want to trust God, Father, we want to be a church that believes. We want to be parents and grandparents and spouses and brothers and sisters who believe. We have lost and wandering family members. And Lord, we're willing to walk from here to Notre Dame. And I pray that you'll not only work in the hearts of our kids, this man saw a miracle happen in the life of his son. Lord, that's what we're asking for. But beyond that, he saw a miracle happen in his own heart. And we're asking for that too. Accomplish your purposes, Lord, the people here who are, have tears down, streaming down cheeks, bended knees, broken hearts. Minister to each of us in ways that only you can. And all of God's believing people said, Amen and Amen. I'd ask if we'd all stand. We're going to bless one another before we depart as you're standing. Uh, final reminder next week starts our Life Action Summit. And just to be clear, that'll start in here at 9 a.m. next Sunday. So if you have a Sunday school class you go to, it'll meet in here. And if you don't normally come to Sunday school, you won't want to miss what happens in here at 9 o'clock next Sunday. Can we bless one another? May you know the person of Jesus Christ. May your faith in him persevere. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with God's grace.